Greetings, dear saints. I hope that your soul is well and that you are encouraged in your faith and excited about the good things that God is doing in our lives in the midst of difficult times and difficult circumstances. I want to continue with you on our journey through the book of Revelation. And we looked at last time just these few verses in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and the first part of verse 5. And let me read them to you. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And last time I was with you, we looked at how this greeting is threefold. First of all, it's very personal. Uh, it's about John and the churches that he ministered in and how God cared for both John and for these churches. And this letter is a reflection of both of those realities, and it reminds us that God is a personal God. He's aware, he cares, and he's there in all of our lives. The second thing that we saw was that in this greeting, there's a, a dual blessing, a twofold blessing, the, the blessing of grace and peace. And we looked at the importance of walking in those two characteristics and how, how necessary they are, especially in the midst of difficult times. And then we saw thirdly that this little greeting, and there's so much just in this couple of verses, aren't there? Uh, this little greeting gives a threefold revelation of who God is. And really, um, what I want to experience as I go through this journey uh, in the book of Revelation is I want to experience God in a new way. Because really, the, this book reveals God in so many wonderful ways, and it especially is, as the title um, states, it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. But we saw that there was a threefold revelation here. The first one had to do with the one who is and who was and who is to come. And it is a reminder that God indeed is Yahweh. He is the great I Am. And uh, that is the New Testament expression of that Old Testament concept of the divine name. And then uh, we saw the sevenfold spirit before the throne of God and how the, the spirit of God is manifold in the way that he comes to us and ministers in our lives. And then we came to the third revelation, and it is of Jesus Christ. And uh, it says about Jesus Christ three things that he is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And again, this book of Revelation really reveals Jesus in so many ways. So it's fitting that in the revelation of the Godhead here, that Jesus Christ, there are three things that are revealed about him. And that each one is really important. First, he's the faithful witness Second, he's the firstborn from the dead. And third, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And today, I simply want to look at the first one and what it means that he is the faithful witness. Each one of these is so rich and so powerful. And I want to take time on, on at least the first one to spend a whole session just on that. And probably next time I'll do the second too. Um, but before we do that, let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, for you indeed are our rock and our redeemer. Well, before we start, I want to talk a little bit about uh, faith. It's a thought I've had about faith. And I think uh, faith has to be threefold. First of all, it has to be theological. And what I mean by that, it has to be rooted in the historical revelation of Scripture. And what I mean by that is that our faith has a context. It has a history. Events actually happened. There was a resurrection. Uh, there, there was a crucifixion. There was a birth. These apostles existed. The letters they wrote were real. The churches that they wrote them to were real. And so there is Scripture and history that we need to be rooted in. And we have to have a good, solid 
uh, theology, especially when it comes to the book of Revelation. There's so many things that have been said and taught about the book of Revelation that just simply uh, are not true and are misguided and, and have to do more with popular um, popular theology, I guess, rather than really good theology. But what I want us to see is that, listen, I have to have a good theological faith. I have to know scriptures. I have to study to show myself approved. And then secondly, um, uh, I, my faith has to be practical. And what I mean by that is that I've got to apply the truth of scripture to my life. And we all fall down when we when we disregard Scripture or we compromise Scripture or we don't obey it, and, and we all know firsthand we've been there and know what happens and the tragedies that occur when we, when we don't um, simply apply Scripture to our lives. And then secondly, or thirdly, excuse me, my faith has to be supernatural. And what I mean by that, it's recognizing how God reveals himself uh, in the stuff of life, how he breaks through, and, and that God is just not a theological God. Uh, he's not just the God of the Bible, but he's the God who manifests himself through the Holy Spirit in my experience. And he's always wanting to do that. From the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, we see God involved in people's lives, showing up and making a difference. And that's really important. If my faith is not based in sound theology, it's eventually going to fail. If my faith is not practical, it will eventually become irrelevant to me. And if my faith is not supernatural, it will eventually dry up. If I'm not experiencing God in a way that I go, wow, I met with God today. Wow, I saw God at work in my life. Wow, God, you revealed yourself to me. Man, I experienced your presence. Now, we don't depend on only that thing, but that is really important. And I think the book of Revelation really speaks to that. God wanting to break in and to reveal himself, uh, in body, soul, and spirit in us in a way that we go, wow, I, I know that I'm, I'm getting to know God and I'm growing in my relationship with him and I see him at work in my life. And so... We want to look at this revelation of Jesus Christ, this threefold revelation of Jesus Christ, and see so clearly that it's important. Listen, I want to experience this first revelation of Jesus Christ, where it says that he is the faithful witness, and I love that, that he is the faithful witness. And the nature of our faith must always embrace the supernatural. Our God does break through into our world history and into our personal history, and he's going to break through in what we're going through right now. This is not lost on God. God has a plan and a purpose, and the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. As much as evil is being poured out, the Holy Spirit will be poured out more. And God is able to reveal himself and to change and impact our history as a world, and your history individually. And the first thing that I want us to be able to look about, uh, look at with Jesus is, listen, that he is the faithful witness. Now, one of the reasons Jesus came was that so we could know who God is. And, and a lot of us struggle with knowing God. And, and a lot of times our views of God and our understanding of God can be really tainted by things that we've experienced in our lives, perhaps uh, if we've had parents that were a father that was not a good father figure um, or authorities that were not good authorities and we've been damaged in some way, some way, sometimes our view of God, because he is the ultimate authority, can be, of course, uh, influenced by those thoughts. And so sometimes the idea of God is really hard for people. They feel that he's distant. They feel that he um, is uncaring, that he's stern, that he's always ready to judge and always ready to punish. And I think uh, many people really have that view of God and struggle at one time or another with that. And Jesus came to be a faithful witness as to who God really is. There was a, a singer a few years back who who uh, wrote a song called, What If God 
uh, were one of us. And I always thought that was an interesting song because, of course, God did become one of us, and that's the whole point of Jesus, so that we wouldn't have to guess at who God was or, or only have a revelation of Old Testament revelation of who God was, but we could see him in a very personal way. Uh, he came in human form. And John, in his gospel, at the beginning of his gospel, says this in verse 18 of chapter 1, No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Isn't that beautiful? That the beloved Son, who is close to the Father's heart, is the one who makes God known. It is why Jesus in John 14 later on says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And no one can really uh, approach and understand God the Father unless they come through Jesus. And Jesus came to be the faithful witness to a lot of things, but especially uh, in revealing who God really is. Uh, in in Jesus, we have the revelation of the Father. Jesus tells us in John 14, 10, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And what a beautiful thought that is, is that if you want to see God, just look at Jesus. If you want to experience God, know Jesus. And that is really uh, the, the point of, of why he came to show God in all of his fullness. We can see how Jesus always walked with the purpose of revealing the Father. Listen to these statements. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can, can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. That's from John 5, 19 and 20. Isn't that beautiful? Is that Jesus watched the Father. He had this intimate relationship with the Father while he was on earth for those 33 years, and he simply watched the Father spiritually, with spiritual eyes, and saw what the Father was doing, and that's what Jesus did. It's the only way he lived. He did only what he saw the Father doing. If the Father wasn't doing it, Jesus wasn't going to do it. And so everything that Jesus did, you look at all of his actions, you look at the miracles, the healings, the driving out demons, all of those different things, you look at that and you see really he's doing that because the Father revealed to him, this is what I want you to do. Isn't that amazing? And so in his actions we see that Jesus is a faithful witness to who the Father is. And if I want to know, God, my dear Father, how do you act? You can see. Uh, you can look at Jesus gathering the little children to him. Uh, you can look and see the woman caught in adultery, how Jesus responded to her came from the heart of the Father toward her. Isn't that amazing? Now listen to John 12, 49 and 50. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak, and, and his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore, I speak as the Father has told me. That's from John 12, 49 and 50. And and then he, later on in John 14, 24, he says, He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. The words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. You see, Jesus' words were the very thoughts of the Father. Jesus' works were the very intention of the Father. If we want to know how the Father would speak to us, all we have to do is simply listen to the words of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels and as recorded in the book of Revelation as well, as we'll, we'll see. 
And so in, in the works of Jesus and in the words of Jesus, he gives faithful witness to who God is. And, and in our previous session, um, we looked at the divine name from Exodus 3, 13 and 14, Yahweh, which God chose to reveal himself by, the name he wanted to be known by. It literally means, I am with you to get it done. And, and that is the, the divine name, and it's translated oftentimes as Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And it is the name that God chose for himself. And he said, listen, this is the name I want to go by. This is the name I want to be known by. This is important to me. And really, it's the deepest revelation of God. And again, I love the, just the literal, very practical meaning of it. And it means, I am with you to get it done. And in John 8, 58 and 59, follow along with me, because this is really important. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now that name Yahweh means simply I am. And here Jesus claims that, that before Abraham was born, I am. And it's so uh, it's it so uh, uh, angered the Jews because they knew exactly what he was doing. He was he was uh, he was proclaiming and claiming that divine name for himself because he was God the Son, and so he had a right to that name, and it just so infuriated them. And really, this is why they wanted to kill him. But you see, Jesus came to bear witness to the reality that God is with us to get it done. And you see that in his ministry, that in everything he did, it was an expression. It was a cry, I am with you to get it done. Whether it was casting out demons, storm, uh, uh, calming the storm on the sea, whether it was healing the blind, raising the dead, forgiving people's sins, all of those things, it was the, a witness that God was in history to get things done for the people that he loved. And the ultimate expression was, of course, on the cross. And Jesus said, when I am lifted up, you will know that I am and uh, literally, I am. Uh, the text adds, I am he, but really it's just I am in the Greek. When I am lifted up on the cross, you will know at that point that I am. Because in the cross, truly, it is the greatest expression of God being with us to get it done, isn't it? Isn't that really just, just so beautiful? And that's really what's so important to understand. And uh, in everything Jesus did and said, he demonstrate, demonstrated that the Father truly is with us to get it done. And that's why in John 17, uh, which is the, the beautiful priestly prayer, it's Jesus' final prayer. Listen to what he says about the, the name. I have revealed your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. That's in verse 6. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them or protecting them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And that's in verse 11. And then listen to the next, next verse. I have made your name known to them, I, or I have revealed your name to them and will continue to make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And that's at the end. I think it's in verse 26. But the thing that I want you to see in all of these is that everyone that is given to Jesus out of the world, Jesus wants to reveal to us 
that God is with us to get it done. That's the first thing of, that he came to bear witness to. The second thing is that that is the name that protects us. That is the name that guards us and keeps us. How you do that practically is you go into a situation and you're struggling and you're worried and you're wondering and and then you say, wait a minute, Jesus, because I have you, I know that the Father is with me to get it done. And it changes how you look at that situation and how you approach it. And, and then Jesus said, listen, I want to continue to reveal your name. Even when I'm gone through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to continue to reveal to those believers who trust in me that I'm still with them to get it done. And isn't that really, really beautiful? He's a faithful witness. This is what was at the heart of Jesus when he said, listen, Father, glorify your name. I want your name to be glorified. I, I want, that's what, what in John 12, 28, he, he prays that to the Father and says, Father, I want to glorify your name. Glorify your name. Make your name be above everything. When people look at my life, Father, let them see that you are with them to get it done. And he says, listen, the Father says back and to him, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. Because obviously through the life of Jesus Christ, he glorified it and was glorifying it. But then in his death and resurrection and ascension, he glorified it even more. And so you see that Jesus Christ lived to bear witness to the name of the Father, Yahweh, I am with you to get it done. And God glorified his name in Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing. Because Jesus glorified the name of the Father, the Father glorified the name of the Son. That's why in Philippians uh, it says that that uh, we're told that the Father gave Jesus the name that is, is above all names and that it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> the Father says to the Son, Listen, Son, I'm so proud of you. I'm so pleased with you. You glorified my name. You let everyone know through your life, through your words, through your faithful witness, that I am with them to get it done. And because you glorified my name, I'm going to glorify your name. Now it's your name, son, that is going to be the name that is above every name. And that is the name that we call out to, isn't it? You know, the name of Jesus. And so the prayer point, really, for us and that I want to kind of leave you with, and our point of prayer is this. Listen, Jesus bore witness to the reality that God in, in, in him and through the Holy Spirit, God is with you to get it done. And so what I'd like to do is just pray this little prayer for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, how he is the faithful witness that in everything he said, in everything he did, he said those things because you were saying them. He did those things because you were doing them. And in him, we see your heart for us. And thank you because of him, we have the assurance that you are with us to get it done. So in this time of our lives, in what we're going through, in the circumstances, no matter what happens, we want to proclaim that you are with us to get it done and your perfect will will be done in our lives. We give you glory, honor, and praise. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you and we do declare that your name is above all names and we bow our heads and bend our knee in worship to you. Amen. Well, I hope you're doing well. Remember to read the book of Revelation out loud so that the Lord uh, will bless you. And uh, I will see you again soon. Bye for now. 
Greetings, dear saints. I pray that you are all well and that you are encouraged. I want to continue with our journey through the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation can be viewed from this simple perspective. In the midst of terrible tribulation, behold your God, worship him, so that you may stand firm in the great spiritual battle. Be confident and hopeful, for the King is coming. That's a simple way to look at the book of Revelation. And I want to continue with verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1. And let me read the text to you. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. In this book, worship is a big part of the book. I think it is because worship is so important, because in worship we behold who God is, we declare who he is, and that encourages our spirit and it gives us strength to stand firm in the midst of the battle with a sense of hope and a sense of victory. And I think that's why in John's greeting from God, the Holy Spirit gives us a threefold revelation of who God is. We see, first of all, the, the Father who is, who was, who is to come, the sevenfold Spirit. And then we see a threefold revelation of Jesus Christ, that he is the faithful witness, he is the firstborn from among the dead, and he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. What a beautiful uh, way to worship God is to look at him in these three ways and to worship him for who he is. And in the revelation of Jesus Christ, the threefold revelation, there are three assurances for us. Because he is the faithful witness, we are assured that God is with us. And we looked at that last week. Because he is the firstborn from among the dead, we are assured that God has redeemed us. And we're going to look at that this week. And because he is the ruler of the kings of the earth, we are assured he is sovereign over us. So those are the three assurances from this little greeting in which Jesus Christ is pre presented in this threefold way. God is with us, God has redeemed us, and God is sovereign over us. And we want to first look this morning at God has redeemed us because Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Before we do that, let me pray. Gracious Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be pleasing in your sight, because indeed you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Romans 8, uh, 28 through 30 says the following, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is an amazing passage about our identity and what God has done for us through Christ. But that little phrase there, he is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The idea of the firstborn is that the firstborn goes ahead and prepares the way so that we can follow and be identified with him in what he's already done. And so because Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and he's the firstborn 
among the dead, the idea here is that God the Father wants us to identify with his Son in his death and in his resurrection. And there's great assurance and comfort in identifying with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, he said this, it is finished. Something was accomplished on the cross that the Father had attended, intended from the creation of the world and wanted to happen, and Jesus accomplished it. And truly, we see that on the cross, as we mentioned last time, God is with us to get it done. And Jesus was a faithful testimony to that, that in both his death on the cross and in the resurrection, there is that expression of the divine name that God is with us to get it done. And I want to see the assurance of the cross this morning first, because it's so important that we have this as a foundation in our faith. Now listen to Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For God, who was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This passage shows us two things about the cross. First of all, through the cross and through the shedding of the blood of Jesus, we've been reconciled with God. The idea there is that you're right with God. No matter what's going on right now in your life and in the world, it's not up to your circumstances or to you. You have been reconciled with God because of the death of Jesus Christ and because of his blood shed on the cross. And because of that, God is at peace with you. And I think that that's a wonderful thing to keep in mind in the midst of anything that we're going through. Wait a minute. No matter what's going on, I have been reconciled with God and I can be at peace with Him. Doesn't matter the state I'm in. Doesn't matter the state the world is in. I'm reconciled to God and I can be at peace with Him. You see, that's the assurance of the cross, the assurance of the shed blood. Listen to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This is the second point that I want to make about the cross. Not only does it have to do with our relationship with God, but it has to do with our relationship with Satan. We've been freed from him. We've been freed from his power. See, Satan was able to have power over us because a human being failed and gave him ground, gave him authority, gave him power. And of course, you know, that was Adam and, and of course, Eve. And so for, for God to overcome what Satan did, he had to become a person to defeat Satan. You see, God could have very easily defeated Satan with just a thought and totally destroyed him or sent Michael the archangel to destroy him. But you see, that would not have worked legally because when, when mankind failed and gave themselves over to Satan, God had to come in the form of a human being, in the form of a person, in order to take back the ground and to get the victory from Satan. And you see, that's what happened on the cross. And, and Satan's power over us was death. Not just physical death, but the death that brought separation from God. 
And you see, because of the cross and because of the shedding of the blood, there is no more death. Yes, Satan can harm our bodies, and the book of Revelation uh, really shows that in the battle with the saints and, and how there are martyrs, and you can see in the history of the church and, and even in recent history in Syria and, and in Iraq and in those countries where, uh, where, where Christians have been so terribly persecuted to the point of death. You can see that Satan has power in this world still over our physical bodies, but he does not have power to harm my identity in Christ or to take away my inheritance in Christ. That can't happen because of the cross. And so the cross has to do with my relationship with God. There's an assurance there. The cross has to do with my relationship with Satan. There's an assurance there that I'm free. He has no power over me. Now listen to Colossians 2, 14 and 15. 13, 14 and 15, excuse me. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." Again, I want you to see that, that the cross of Jesus Christ, his death and his blood did some amazing things. Everything that was held against us because of the law, um, all the rules and regulations, you know, all of us are fractured. Um, all of us make wrong choices. Our sinful nature causes us when we give in to it, when we compromise to make choices that are not good. And yet because of the cross, because of his death on the cross and the shedding of his blood, all of that has been canceled out. And that there is that assurance if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's a beauty and a power in that. And that's what took the power and the authority away from the principalities and powers. And so I want you to see that there's a relationship that has been broken, and not only with Satan, but with all the principalities and powers that come against you, is that you can have victory over them because they have nothing on you. And I want you to, to say this to yourself Satan and his principalities and powers have nothing on me because of the cross. Isn't that wonderful? That's a wonderful thought, and it's really powerful to proclaim that over yourself. And what I want you to see here is that Jesus Christ has made a spectacle over the principalities and powers. He's already done that. It is not complete. There will come a time when all of this comes to an end where you will see that and you will be able to put your feet on the necks of your enemies. And what a wonderful day that will be. So because Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, we need to see that we want to identify with him in his death. And in identifying with his death, we have these five things. Your sins are forgiven. You have been reconciled with God. Death no longer has power over you. Satan and all his principalities have nothing on you. You can be at peace with God. Isn't that wonderful? Now, the second part of this assurance that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead has to do with his resurrection. On the cross, Jesus said, 
it is finished. When he talked about his resurrection, he said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Of course, that's from John 11.25. And that question at the end is so powerful and so poignant and so important because it's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Do I really believe that if I were to die today, that I will be resurrected at the resurrection and that death cannot hold me? Isn't that wonderful? Death cannot hold you. Say this with me. Satan, you have nothing on me, and death cannot hold me. Isn't that beautiful? And the importance of the resurrection gives me power in life. The importance of the cross, it gives me power over sin. But the importance of the resurrection is it gives me power over life. And we just celebrated that not too long ago, didn't we? Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And we couldn't gather together to celebrate that together, but the church was still celebrating because the church exists not in buildings, but in people. And many people were celebrating on those two days. Now listen again to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7, because this is what Jesus Uh, what, what Peter has to say about the resurrection of Jesus. I love this passage. Praise be to to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of great worth, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor through Jesus Christ when he is revealed. This is a beautiful passage because it is a passage that is filled with the idea of worship. You see, we worship at the foot of the cross and we worship at the sign of the empty tomb. Both of those things, the cross and the empty tomb, are places of worship for us in what they symbolize. Of course, the cross we've just discussed, and and it is the, the power of the cross and the shedding of the blood that has conquered Satan and freed us from death and reconciled us to God and given us peace. But it is the, the tomb, the empty tomb, that is also a point of worship. And we are to praise God because, first of all, we've been given new birth into a living hope. You see, the resurrection is meant, when we look back and think of the empty tomb, it is meant to give us a living hope. No matter what is going on, and there's a lot of death going on right now, both spiritually and physically, but wait a minute, I have a living hope. I have a living hope because death has no power over me. Satan has no power over me. Yes, I might die, but what does that mean, really, when you come right down to it? Because death cannot hold me. And I've been assured of that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've been born into a a living hope. And not only that, I've been giving an inheritance. You see, the resurrection um, assures my eternal inheritance with God, and that's kept safe in heaven for me. Satan can't, can't touch your inheritance. The world cannot touch your inheritance. The tribulations of life cannot touch your inheritance. Now remember, you are headed to eternity, and that's where you're going to spend much more time than any time 
you've spent here. So your inheritance is really important to keep in mind. It can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's, you're shielded. It's shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed. The world word, excuse me, revealed there is apocalyptus, and it is the same word for the book of Revelation. You see, the salvation of God is ready to be revealed, and you see, the New Testament writers always expected the end of things to happen at any time. And we want to expect that now. And of course, every generation expects this to be the last generation. Every catastrophe that happens in the world, people think this is going to usher in the end of all things. Every terrible, terrible ruler or politician that arises, uh, is every generation thinks that is the beast and the Antichrist. And this, it's always been that way, and it will continue to be that way until God says, this is it. This is the last time. And so we always have to be very careful. And I find that, that people in the midst of crisis always turn to the book of Revelation and try to prove that, okay, this is the final time. And of course, um, only the Father knows that. Not even the Son knows when the final time is. And the book of Revelation doesn't give us that answer. And I think uh, we can get into a lot of trouble when we try and make, us, uh, make it give that answer of, as to when the final time will be. Because the point of the book of Revelation, it's the final time for you. You only have one life. And you're going to go through great tribulation in this life. The book of Revelation is given to you to help you to go through your tribulation right now. Yes, there will be an end of all things one day. And perhaps things will be even more intense then. But what about right now? What about you? That's what the book of Revelation wants to speak to. Returning to uh, 1 Peter uh, 1, 3 through 7, it says this, and, and, and this is important to keep in mind. In this you greatly rejoice. What do you greatly rejoice in? And that is a term of worship. Re you rejoice that you've been given new birth into a living hope and you've been giving a divine inheritance. It's a call to worship. Rejoice in this. In the midst of tribulation, rejoice in this. Even though you rejoice greatly, even though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And, and many of us are going through that right now, aren't we? We are suffering grief in all kinds of trials. Do I focus on my trials and the grief and the difficulty and the potential dangers? Or do I rejoice in the fact that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I have new birth into a living hope, and I have an inheritance that can never spoil or perish. It's my choice. Do I concentrate on my grief or do I, and trials, or do I concentrate on my worship of who Jesus is? And then it says, These have come. Right now, what all the world is going through the whole reason, Satan may have intended it for one thing, but God intends it for another. And it's this, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. What's going on with your faith right now? What do you really believe? Are you filled with fear and doubt or are you walking in who you are in Christ? And are you rejoicing in what he's done and what he's given you? If you do that, your life is going to result in praise, glory, and honor. When Jesus Christ is revealed, again, there's that word, apocalypsis. You see... There's going to come a revelation of Jesus Christ, a full revelation. The king is coming back. 
But this text can also be interpreted from the fact that whenever Jesus Christ is revealed in us, and he's often being revealed in us, we are going to result in glory and honor and praise to God. This is how it works. You see, when I make the decision in the midst of the terrible tribulations that I go through, when I fall and I get up, when I make the decision to walk with God, it gives glory, honor, and praise to God because Christ is revealed in me. The true sense of my faith is revealed in, in what I do when I fall. Do I get up? And what do I do in the midst of trials and tribulations? Do I stand firm and do I trust God? When I do that, it results in praise and glory and honor. And Jesus Christ is revealed in me. And I, and I can see, wow, Christ, you really showed up. And, and hopefully other people can see that too. And so I want to encourage you uh, to see Jesus as the firstborn of the dead. To see him in the power and the power of his death and his resurrection and how these have impacted my life. You see, to worship Jesus as the firstborn from among the dead is to worship him in the power of his cross and in the power of his resurrection and how that impacts my life. Now, this is our point of prayer, and I want to say this little prayer, and I hope that it encourages you. And, of course, you can pray on your own, but I just want to give you an example of, of how to pray uh, something through this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the death of your Son on the cross and by the shedding of his blood, we have been reconciled to you. You have forgiven our sins, and we can be at peace before you. Thank you that the power of the evil one has been broken. He cannot harm me, my identity in Christ, nor can he steal my internal inheritance. He has nothing on me. Thank you that through the resurrection of your son, I have been given freedom, a living hope, and the promise of victory. Death cannot hold me. I pray that as I go through the present trials, that I would walk in these truths so that my faith may be proven and my, my life may give you glory and that Jesus Christ may be revealed in me. Well, God bless and keep you, and I hope to be with you again soon.